Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And here we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff. And if you run over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you'll see that I've titled today's show after the song Mace Spray. Mace Spray is the song by the Jezebels that I actually use in the intro to this show each week you hear the little intro to mace spray i don't know if you knew that jezebel's band i really enjoy i I don't know if all of you guys do but i've been sharing songs from them with you for quite some time you know i went over to their website just to create the links in the promo material for this show on my blog and then over at, at blog talk as well and i see that there are no upcoming dates and I think I read at one point that they had had an upcoming date and that they had to cancel that date because of illness. And those of you who have followed the band know that the keyboardist, pianist, Heather Shannon, has had ovarian cancer in the past. And I am hoping beyond hope that it's not her who's ill, that she hasn't had a recurrence of the cancer in some way. She is so incredibly talented and, in fact, um, you know, some of her compositions have started to be played by orchestras locally there in Australia and stuff. So, you know, she's classically trained and, and has a lot of appreciation for really good music. If you go on Spotify, she's got, you know, playlists of some of her favorite classics and everything else. So I hope that she's okay. And I always wish them the best. Um, I would really love, of course, to be able to enjoy more music and, and see them again and, and for them to you know, live out the lives that they deserve. Heather's really nice, too. Anyway, um, yeah, so a little bit of a dour show, right? So May Spray, this song, the lyrics, if you take them literally, talk about, you know, in the chorus, there's a woman, she carries May Spray because you can't rely on the common man. And if you look in the, you know, the program notes that I've got for the show, we're going to talk about Judge Kaczynski and his retirement and sexual harassment at Ford. So there's that layer of it. But if you read a little bit about Mace Spray, which is available over on one of the websites where they've got the lyrics to the song, there's this one called Genius.com that will give you lyrics of all the, the various songs. There's a quotation from an interview with Haley Mary about the song, and she's talking about the song being about her struggle with feminism that on the one hand, she 
likes to see herself as a feminist, but on the other hand, she doesn't embrace some aspects of feminism, including man-hating and everything else, so that it's about this struggle with feminism and improving the condition in the world for women while at the same time not embracing things like, you know, hating all men and everything because you are a female who wants to improve the condition for women. So, you know, how do you deal with this apparent conflict, which is that there is a real problem out there that we've seen ever since the, you know, the big Weinstein blow up and all of the fallout. We're going to talk a little bit about Ford Motor Company. There's a big expose on that in New York Times this week. So, you know, how do you balance that thing? So that that's sort of what we're talking about. You know, in terms of what else would you like to have mace spray to defend yourself against? If you look at the program notes, there's this horrific story about a pit bull, and I've got actually two pit bulls mauling and, and killing their owner. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Israeli soldiers, they could use some mace spray, apparently, given how they're treated sometimes by some Palestinian women. So that that's as well. Anyway, as I said, go over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Not all the stories are going to integrate neatly with this theme that I have in mind, but when I started thinking about what this show was going to be and what the title was, Mace Spray is exactly what occurred to me. People are saying, hello, Merry Christmas and stuff. It's it's kind of a dour topic. I'm not, I was telling a friend before the show, I'm not actually in a bad mood. I just feel like this is the topic that I have some things to say that are sort of unique. And, and particularly when now you've got your own Brooke doing news on, you know, several days a week and everything else, when I'm going to do a show for you guys, which is once a week, I'm going to gravitate to topics and orientation towards topics where I think I actually have something somewhat unique to say. So no surprise. What are we starting talking about this week? We're going to have to do a follow-up on judge Kaczynski. Just before that, I was going to give you a brief update on my dog, uh, last week I had postponed my show because my dog was sick and everything. And, and as I said, I did an extensive workup on her and found out she didn't have a horrible cancer and just has probably some old dog diseases, which is pancreatitis and a little early kidney disease. Right now she seems stable and she's drinking normal water without any you know, chicken broth mixed in and she's taking good walks with me and we did it this morning. So for the time being, she's hanging out and, you know, when she's over 15 and she's hanging out and she's seeming like she's having good days, this is awesome. So just that update to let you know it, it's cool on that front. So let's dive in. Here's the story that I got to see on Monday from Washington Post. Federal appeals judge announces immediate retirement amid probe of sexual misconduct allegations. And last week I told you that as far as I was aware in my experience, I didn't know of any, you know, really improper conduct. It was all about this broad sense of humor that Kaczynski had, that he would tell these inappropriate jokes. Uh, and in fact, one of the things I was reading about in the story last week, don't remember seen it myself, but there's something vaguely familiar about it. I wonder if he had, you know, kind of sent it to some people or I don't know. But one of the things that they had talked about last week was that he had showed to a clerk this photo and there's these this couple that is sitting in the middle of a party and everybody else around them is dressed and everyone's drinking beer and stuff. And this couple's sitting on the couch completely naked 
And Kaczynski apparently asked to a, a clerk that he showed this picture to, does it turn you on or does it arouse you? And it's just so ridiculous. It's like in my mind I was imagining, okay, he's not asking this seriously. Like he's trying to arouse this clerk and have sex with her or whatever. He's just showing her this still, you know, kind of a stupid picture. It's just very juvenile. It's like, I couldn't even imagine that he would think that that picture was remotely arousing that he's like, just kind of poking fun at, at you're just trying to get a rise out of somebody like, Oh yeah, does it arouse you? If it does, then that's pretty lame because this is a stupid picture. I just couldn't imagine that anybody would see this picture and think, Oh yeah, that's arousing that they're sitting in this. I mean, maybe I have a different idea of, of what's arousing than anybody else, but you know, and I asked, um, I had a roommate at the time when I was an intern for Kaczynski, and I was checking with her before the show. I said, you know, is there something that I complained to you about his behavior at the time? I'm not remembering, you know, what my impressions were of him or anything. And she said, no, no, you know, you didn't think anything very bad. As I remember, it was just the broad sense of humor. But then here's this article from Washington Post, and apparently there is more to it. So, he actually invited clerks to watch pornography in his office, and he did engage in improper touching of women at events and, and other places. The one example that I remember it sticks out in my mind, I haven't gone back and read this article again since Monday, but the one example that sticks out in my mind is he's at an event, and there's a woman who's got, you know, she's wearing something, and everybody, when you go to these events, law events or you know school events whatever you'll often have a name tag and so under the pretext of you know he's looking to see what her name tag says he puts his hand on her in a way as if to like brush the lapel out of the way but he's purposefully touching her breast which is just slimy and stupid and lame examples like that I spoke with another friend um, who's a lawyer and, and had you know friends at law school and things like this and she had had the experience of a friend who was uh, a potential clerk for Kaczynski at one point, and a female, of course. And Kaczynski had, had, had sent links to pornography in email to this potential clerk. Just bad conduct. Um, there is one thing that he had said to me that I was thinking about after the show last week, but it was, you know, decades later when I was no longer working for him, I was having a lunch with him just one time and it was as friends. It wasn't as anything else. And he made kind of a lame, you know, kind of stupid, I guess you would call it flirty comment. I would call it kind of tasteless. You know, I was uh, quite a bit older at the time. I'd known him for, I don't know, maybe a couple decades or something. And he was asking about, you know, kids and are you having kids or whatever. And he, he made some comment about how great his sperm was, which apparently people who engage in this kind of behavior, it's a fairly common thing to talk about. There was one of the stories. What was one of the guys? One of the guys was, was it Lauer? I can't remember. One of them was offering to have a surrogacy arrangement or wanted to have a surrogacy arrangement with an employer. So, so discussions about this. It's it's just kind of a lame comment, and I just kind of blew it off at the time. Again, you know, never any improper advances, just lame, stupid comments that I ever get from this guy. So you'd say, okay, well, you know, he never offered to show you pornography, like I should sue him or something. I don't know. But 
anyway, it looks like because he decided to retire as opposed to go through the judicial investigation that a number of these allegations, which include clearly inappropriate behavior like showing pornography in a workplace or um, you know, engaging in improper, unwelcome sexual touching of women, that some of these are true, which is really sad. And the only thing that I had to say when I posted it on Monday on social media was that this is a tremendous loss. And this is when you have to kind of try to integrate this um, because you say, okay, well, here's this guy, you know, and what's the big deal, right? Kaczynski for people who don't know is just known as this tremendously talented jurist, really, really smart when he would engage in questioning of attorneys, you know, he's on the Ninth Circuit. He was chief judge for many years. He was um, a very young judicial appointee originally under Reagan, and he, you know, was appointed to the Ninth Circuit when he was very, very young. You know, just this young, you know, awesomely talented, super stud attorney, you know, is just awesome. And, you know, when you go look at some of the opinions that he wrote, they were amazing. I still haven't dug it up. I was going to go look it up. But there was one opinion that he wrote that I would teach in my contracts class because it was in the textbook for contracts. And it was a wonderful opinion ridiculing California state contract law for how stupid it was. And the issue in the California law was that basically any person could sue and say that the contract that they had with somebody else was ambiguous, that the standard for ambiguity in contract law in California was really, really low, which means that if you wanted to get out of performing a contract in California, it could be really easy to do in the, in the sense of holding up your contract partner, you know, the, your, the, uh, the person with whom you contracted, you could hold them up in court forever and cost them all sorts of legal expenses and everything else. And, and in that way, probably get out of performing a contract that you were obligated to do. And in, in the opinion that he wrote, he very eloquently protested and basically said, how clear do you have to make a contract in order for it to hold up and not be subject to legal challenge in the state of California? Isn't this insane and ridiculous? And it's just a really great opinion. So there's that. Um, The one that I included in the program notes is a very, very famous opinion. And if you go there, you'll, I've got the links at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. There's a PDF of this one very famous opinion that he wrote in a case called United States versus Sayufi. I think Sayufi is the way you pronounce it, but I don't remember for sure. Uh, The opinion is about film distribution and the United States was suing this entrepreneur, this guy Sayufi in the Las Vegas area, alleging that he had sort of monopoly power in movie theaters there. The guy went in there and he just created these really high quality, luxurious, comfortable movie theaters. And he ended up doing so well that he was able to buy out some of his competitors. And he wasn't, you know, charging the moviegoers any more than they would have to pay anywhere else in the country. Of course, it is Vegas. You know, some things could be expensive there. Of course, a lot of things are cheap there, too. It depends. But, you know, it wasn't that, but it was like that somehow 
he had some sort of monopoly power over the distributors of the film. And the distributors weren't even complaining, but still, you know, the, the it was like an overly active Justice Department coming in and going after this guy, saying he had some sort of monopoly power. The opinion itself is written by Kaczynski, you know, and of course he had some help from his clerks at the time putting this wonderful thing together. It itself is an ode to free enterprise and competition and, and, you know, keeping government out of the marketplace. So that makes it notable. But in addition, this opinion is famous for having within it, and if you read it, it reads like, you know, a a legal opinion, a well-written legal opinion that includes some interesting choice of language or maybe some slang, you know, and, and, catchphrases and, and um, cliche phrases and stuff here or there. That's what, it's, that's what it reads like. It turns out that in this opinion, which is about film distribution, there are over 200 movie titles. The opinion is only 14 pages long. So imagine that you have a 14-page opinion that includes all of the legal points that need to be made in order you know, to have an appellate decision on this that substantively it is pro-competition and that it also happens to, you know, from an artistic standpoint, include the titles of all these movies. And some of them, as you read them, it's blatantly obvious and and you'll recognize it. Uh, But just to, you know, give you an idea, towards the very end of it, if you look at, you know, sort of the second to last substantive um, you know, the substantive sentence in the Kaczynski opinion. Because the last sentence is, you know, the judgment of the district court is affirmed. It's just a procedural. But the, the last substantive sentence in this opinion is this. Let me read it to you. Personal initiative, not government control, is the fountainhead of progress in a capitalist economy. End quote. So the last, you know, a movie title that's in this opinion is The Fountainhead and it's an ode to laissez-faire capitalism an unfettered free market and all the benefits it's not perfectly consistent right because in the opinion Kaczynski acknowledges that in certain situations there might be a role for government those parts of the opinion you could read as him saying essentially because of government interference in other areas, there might be places where in certain scenarios you there's so many barriers to entry that the government might need to check in other areas to make sure that there is enough competition in certain sectors of the economy. So it, it might be a little equivocal in that way. Of course, what is the true free market answer is to get rid of all those barriers to entry insofar as they're created by government as well. He ends up ruling the right way and it ends up, you know, in, in general being an ode to the free market. It's not 100% consistent that way. I don't know that it could be and then be consistent with existing antitrust law. So I give you this just as a sample of the sort of thing that Kaczynski was known for, that you know, the, the genius of Kaczynski. And, and then the question is, how much do you say someone is really a genius if, as it seems apparent, he made such poor decisions in conducting a lot of his personal or, you know, interpersonal work relationships throughout all the years? 
you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, I treat all of my clerks like family and the stuff that we talked about last week, but it's quite another thing to say, okay, you know, you've got these clerks and you're inviting them to watch pornography in your office, which just goes beyond having a broad sense of humor. Or you're at events and you're inappropriately touching the females trying to, you know, fondle their breasts or something. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it looks like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's such a it's such a loss. If you think, and I was talking with my friend the other day, she was saying, well, think for example of the people who were working for him as clerks, because he said, you know, retirement immediately. The clerkships with Kaczynski were often what people knew as feeder clerkships, where they would work for Kaczynski for a year. And that would be a step to get a Supreme Court clerkship the next year because it was very prestigious to be working for Kaczynski. Why? Because, again, he was known as this person who was supremely talented, who imparted a lot of knowledge and skill to his clerks, you know, that he, of of course, you know, made them work really hard and everything else. And as I said, all of that that I saw was true. Kaczynski worked very late nights. He slept very little himself, and he expected the same of his clerks. And it was like a work hard and play hard sort of situation. Kaczynski was also the snowboarder and everything else. But obviously, even though he was supremely talented, intelligent, and productive, in some ways, in other ways, he was making also really poor decisions. And what does that now do for all of the employees who who work for him and everything else? You know, they put him on the resume and it's like, okay, well, what is it that you could deal with a workplace in which there was some harassment or a little bit of a rough environment? Or is it well, those people who work there now, they automatically are seen as condoning all of this sort of behavior if they're guys. What, you know, what has he wrought is the question. And, and how compartmentalized can somebody be? You know, I look at this and I say, okay, you know, and, and he's known as having been heavily influenced by Ayn Rand. This is not surprise. He's an intellectual ally. He's very smart. He was very effective on the court. He was well known as, uh, you know, somebody, if you were a, an attorney who was preparing to have an oral argument before the Ninth Circuit with Kaczynski on the panel, you were scared. You, were, you knew you had to be on top of your game because this guy was going to ask you the difficult pointed questions you know, you start to wonder, you know, was some of it just because he's trying to intimidate people because that's the sort of thing that, you know, would be behind the behavior that is alleged by a lot of these women, right? This kind of power play stuff that it's not so much even about sex that it's about power and all. I, um, so, you know, the, 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 the how does mace spray tie into to all of this? In in some ways, is it is it just about sexual harassment, so to speak, or is it about somebody in, in general? Was he also sort of harassing his male clerks in ways that weren't sexual, but maybe there's some things that they could talk about? As I said, for me, the one thing that I remember that stuck out is he said, here's this cassette of Nathaniel Brandon's benefits and hazards. You know, I want you to listen to it and tell me what you think of it. 
And was he, you know, sort of trying to get a rise out of me, so to speak, in in a philosophical way? It didn't work because I listened to the tape and then I told him what I thought of it. And that was the end of that discussion. He wasn't, you know, as I said, I remember that one additional comment he made, something about Nathaniel Brandon was an acquired taste. And I'll say, well, you know, how about if I just choose not to acquire it? And that was, as I recall, the end of the discussion there. So, um, in any event, how how compartmentalized can somebody be? How much is talent like Kaczynski's of value such that you want to put up with things like the broad sense of humor and other things? Obviously, he crossed some lines, though, that are not tolerable, and he decided rather than undergo the investigation and prove out that the allegations were false, that he was going to go ahead and retire. Uh, there were so many of the allegations. You know, again, it's it's not the worst behavior. As far as we know, there aren't any allegations of actual sexual assault or rape or any of this, but it's this unwelcome touching and really inappropriate workplace behavior, again, that I didn't see when I was there, but you know, that seems believable based on the allegations that I've read. It's it's a tremendous loss. Um, he could have had, as far as I know, many more productive years ahead of him. And what any of this does, you know, like it does with Weinstein, nobody's going to be able to look at any of Weinstein's great movies the same way. Again, we look at these opinions of Kaczynski, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have this tinge on it and, you know what is it what does it tell you i mean again i admired this person as being productive and really intelligent and the broad sense of humor is like okay you know i i can deal with that and i can shrug it off and it's no big deal and just laugh it off uh sometimes right at him like what you know this is ridiculous what are you telling me i i'm the kind of person who does that other people maybe not so much other people would be a lot more offended Why is that, you know, we could go into a whole thing. Why can I shrug off something that other people are way more offended by? What are the lines about this, right? Because we don't necessarily want, as I was saying last week, if if all it was was the broad sense of humor and he's just treating everybody like family and he's just got this kind of weird sense of humor, I didn't have a problem with that necessarily. And that might be within the range of legitimate choices of something that you would accept in the workplace if, you thought you could really learn a lot from this person and you really valued their talent and their knowledge and everything else. Maybe you could deal with that. He did though, like we learned this week, go across some lines, lines that I would have as well. If I had seen him showing pornography there, I couldn't put up with that. You just can't, you know, it's just, that's just a line I think that anybody would say is, is not appropriate to, to cross. So, you know, are we going to, as a result of this, sterilize everything? There's a there's now been some calls for the whoever you know. I can't remember exactly what the name of the governing body of the federal judiciary is, but they want to write some clear regulations about how judges should conduct themselves in the company of clerks and everything. Is there a way to make those rules objective? You'd say, okay, well, don't show pornography. Well, I guess that would be a clear one uh should it be don't have any you know photos or videos that have nudity in the workplace well what about some great art 
some beautiful sculpture that's nude or or judges not allowed to have any pictures of that in their chambers anymore. Any jokes at all, you know, where's the line where you draw this? This is tough stuff, you know, so as Haley Mary says, okay, are we going to react so strongly that suddenly anything that, you know, smacks of a joke about sex or something, it's going to be completely off limits and nobody can make a joke about anything in the workplace anymore because of stuff like this. Um, you know, how do you handle such situations objectively? In the chat room, Cobra Pilot says the antagonists want to take all of us down to the lowest common denominator. That is, you cannot offend the most easily offended, right? I mean, are the regulations, if there's going to be some new regulations in reaction to this, are they going to be drawn in such a way that nobody's ever going to be able to make a joke about anything in the workplace, that everything's going to be sterilized and boring and nobody's ever going to be able to have any fun anymore. I mean, there were some things with Kaczynski that I thought were really funny. And I, I didn't think that he had crossed lines that, you know, apparently he had. So for example, there was at one point, I don't know if they still have it. There was a blog that was called, I think called beneath the robes. And it was, you know, who are these judges beneath the robes? And then there was this kind of a joke contest each year about the judicial hottie contest, who were the hottest judges. And there was this one year where some judges had been nominated or whatever. And Kaczynski hadn't been nominated, but then he went ahead and nominated himself. But he did it in this very funny, self-deprecating way. And you can read it, actually. You know, So if you Google judicial hottie Kaczynski, I think in the New York Times they even reproduced the you know, self-nomination letter that he had. And it was really funny. It was just really funny. And, and like I said, self-deprecating and everything else. So um, for me, like I just, I just did never take anything of it seriously. I didn't think that he had crossed lines that apparently he had crossed with some women. And, you know, what was it about? I'd be interested to hear more as if like, do some male judges come forward and say, in a non-sexual way that they felt sort of harassed or hazed or whatever in, in a way that went too far by Kaczynski. Because is it about sex or is it about power? I don't know. Uh, but one of the things that you hate is seeing somebody who you thought was super talented, super smart, super productive, as I always thought of Kaczynski. And I also thought funny and, you know, often in ways that weren't crude. So he wasn't just funny in crude ways. He was funny in a lot of non-crude ways as well. Great sense of humor about law and everything else. And in some of the opinions, it really shows up. And we lose all this and it just gets this big smear across it. You know, this guy, this this productive, smart, intellectual ally, it gets smeared across it because of this inappropriate conduct. It's It's just sad. Selfishness says the bureaucrats are going to have a a field day. You know, what is the proper response to this? I was talking with someone the other day. It was, I think it was in the, um, about the writer's industry in Hollywood that a lot of the writers and stuff, that's one of the places where, you know, the guys just feel like they're bouncing ideas around. It's really offensive and everything else. And that's why a lot of times women, they really didn't want them there because they didn't want, 
allegations of sexual harassment and stuff. But in a way, when you're just brainstorming ideas, you have to be able to just kind of say what's on your mind and be ridiculous. What are, you know, what are they going to do about this? And in so many workplaces now, you know, they've talked about it's in Silicon Valley and, you know, it's in Congress and now maybe in the judiciary. I don't know if, you know, there's other judges other than Kaczynski that we're going to hear about who, who knows, uh, you know, obviously all over Hollywood, what are all of these workplaces going to look like in the future? If there's ever a discussion between a male and a female in the workplace, are they going to feel like you always have to have the door open? There have to, you know, there has to be a recording. You have to have a chaperone in order to have meetings with, it could get really, really ridiculous to the extent that business actually can't be conducted at all. So what what do you put up with? Where do you draw the line? You know, one of the things for me, like I said, personally, when I look at this and I think, okay, here's somebody who didn't necessarily call himself a full objectivist, but as far as I knew that he agreed with a lot of objectivism, you see a lot of influence of objectivism in, in his writing and in, in thing, you know, in the, what he talked about in his speeches. I was on a panel with him back in 2010, and this was before I'd had this lunch with him. And, he said just such excellent things on the panel with such a rational understanding of the law contract law. I remember he was talking about, you know, what an implicit contract was. I can still remember being so impressed with his understanding and, and how well it fit in with objectivist, you know, philosophy. And then you say, well, one of the basic principles of objectivism is not to initiate force against anybody else and apparently that's what he had done in some of these scenarios where he's engaging in the unwelcome touching so you know on on the one hand there's this stating of of agreement with objectivist principles and like I said very viv and super intelligent so very admirable as somebody you would see as potentially objectivist hero type material in so many ways and then these things come out and you, you just, you just feel like in some ways, you know, the, the statement of explicit agreement with objectivist principles that you can't trust it. And that maybe you need to look at other things about how does this person conduct themselves in their lives? As I said, I wasn't aware of him crossing those lines. I was just aware of the, the sense of humor, but it's like I said, it, for me, it's it's just going back to the idea that and I've seen this, you know, of course, in other realms, I've had times on social media and stuff that I've had to block people who, for you know, for example, the, the most ridiculous thing that I've had to block people for it was this discussion I had some time ago. And it, it's going to come up. It's relevant to today because I've got mark manson's book in in the program notes and it's the subtle art of not giving an f right um what you the expletive right i have been posting gfda sometimes good f and design advice and this one week because i happened to write a preamble that also included some profanity in it there's these two older gentlemen who were just being super rude 
as if my use of profanity was defaming objectivism in a certain way. It's like, you know, like, well, where is objectivism gone to if, you know, somebody who's supposedly some spokesperson for objectivism, by the way, you know, don't treat me that way. Um, I do what I can to apply objectivism. Yeah. But anyway, you know, they say, oh, you're this spokesperson of objectivism and you're using profanity and oh my gosh, what would Leonard Peikoff think? You know, by the way, I told him the story and he laughed, but you know, and he doesn't like profanity particularly at all, you know, at all. But nonetheless, he laughed about this. Here I am, I'm using profanity. Supposedly it's the worst thing in the world. And what do these two men do? They berate me and just do this kind of verbal abuse of me on social media. And they just won't let it go. And they go on and on and on. Will not agree to disagree or just say, gosh, you know, I don't agree with your use of profanity in some polite way. Just garbage. Rude, 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 rude. Way worse than any use of profanity. You say what you want about a use of profanity. But they, you know, in effect were doing something that they were alleging that I was doing by merely using profanity as in a joke preamble to a to a post or something and you know these guys supposedly they thought they were speaking for objectivism and and keeping its reputation pure in some way and they were being total I want to say a-holes and I'm not using the the words because I try to keep my uh, my show on blog talk radio listenable to by anybody Uh, but they were they were being terrible so who's the one who's ruining the reputation of the ideas and, and the philosophy. It's based on the conduct, not necessarily by the substance of what somebody says. So, you know, what, what is what is the lesson here that if somebody states explicit agreement with a set of ideas that themselves are good, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always conducting themselves in, in a good way. Now, that doesn't mean everybody who purports to agree with objectivism, you have to be, you know, automatically Dagny Taggart or John Galt or else you're garbage, but real blatant deviations from just basic decency and then at the same time saying, you know, you agree with objectivism, which is not just about politics or about law or about anything else. It's about a strong, you know, code of ethics. Uh, it's it's just really disappointing. It's it's very disappointing to me to to have seen this, and it is. It's a tremendous loss, and it's a tremendous loss. I would say, you know, quote for the cause of of freedom, and for for individual rights, because I saw Kaczynski as such a good, strong, effective, productive, awesome ally in that cause. And I just, you know, I saw the sense of humor as, you know, salty sense of humor. You just kind of take it. It kind of goes with it. And unfortunately, it goes beyond that. And then it colors, you know, the whole the whole legacy. And I, it's just, anyway, it's hard. Um, Josh in the chat room says, you are always getting harsh reactions to effing profanity. <laughs> yeah. And John says, tell them to go to hell. You know, sometimes I just feel like, I'm going to react to them to say F you in, in this, but whatever. Um, there is profanity in that Mark Manson book. I was I started to listen to it. I'll talk about that in a bit. 
And so I just warn you if you guys decide you want to listen to it. But there's some good stuff in the book. So it, sometimes the profanity is worth putting up with. Like I said, I thought that Kaczynski's salty sense of humor was well worth putting up with because of all the other values. And, and I, what I didn't know is that he did take it too far. And it's, like I said, very unfortunate. And it starts to make you struggle with how much can somebody be compartmentalized, not just in this realm, but I've asked the question in other realms, how much can someone like Ted Cruz be compartmentalized? Because I've seen him as a strong ally in the cause of freedom, yet at the some, you know, in some cases he's been incredibly wrong due to his bringing religion into his, you know, political views and everything else. So, you know, I thought, you know, Kaczynski was a certain person and then the revelations come out and, and you're surprised and then you go back and you question your judgment as well. And so all of those types of different considerations have come up for me this week because of this. And I, I do, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous loss. And I, I wish that his career did not end this way, that he wasn't retiring amidst this sort of allegation that he was retiring just because he decided he deserved retirement, that it was that it was time. Um, so, can you still appreciate that opinion that I gave you? I I think so. You know, again, he didn't go and rape people and everything else, but he did cross that line. He did not know how to conduct himself in the workplace. And and then why was it? You know, maybe we could get into it with some of the Manson stuff. But I don't want to analyze Kaczynski. I didn't know him that well. Um, like I said, it's just disappointing. It's somebody, somebody I admired, and and you know, f- also was guilty of of this kind of conduct. Apparently, it's at Ford too, Ford Motor Company. New York Times did a big expose on it this week. How tough is it to change a culture of harassment? Ask women at Ford, and they talk about in the article, which I've mostly just skimmed, uh, apparently, but. Well, not apparently. I that's, that's what I did. I mostly just skimmed. The word apparently is not supposed to be there. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm still just trying to process that whole Kaczynski thing. I've I've told you guys pretty much all that I I have to say on it. If you guys have insights about where we should go with this, you know, as a as a culture. I mean, I could tell you where to go legally, and and part of that's going to tie in with this thing at Ford because they talk about in Ford. This has been going on for more than 25 years and the type of conduct they talk about, you know, we're talking about guys coming up to them on the shop floor and like thrusting their pelvis into them and all sorts of really inappropriate grabbing and everything else. And, you know, this for secrecy and all really, really bad culture going on at Ford and the women there feel like, well, look, you know, they'll look at something like the Kaczynski case these allegations come out and then suddenly Kaczynski's retiring because he probably knew that it was going to be a messy investigation and everything else. I don't know if he could clear his name. Like I said, there's a number of allegations and pretty credible of some improper conduct. Um, he's gone. Weinstein is gone. So many of these people, they're just out. And whereas at Ford, the people who were guilty of the conduct were kept on. They stayed. And 
in one paragraph of it, and I don't think I'm going to be able to find it again, they talked about the fact that Ford's actions over the years, been going on for 25 years or more, yeah, I say it was a quarter of a century ago that there were, uh, you know, initial allegations of this really horrible conduct. Men crudely commenting on the breast and buttocks, graffiti of penises carved into tables, spray painted into floors, scribbled into walls, groped the women, pressed against them, simulated sex acts or masturbated in front of them quarter of a century ago. Today, women at the plants say that they've been subjected to many of the same abuses. And what they talk about in here is they say that the uh, company has not been strong enough in reacting to this and they haven't been consistent. So I guess sometimes they have somebody who's really talented and very valuable, they think, in the workplace. And so they go ahead and keep that person on, even though that person has been guilty of this sort of abhorrent behavior. What should happen in these type of workplaces? Do you want to segregate the workplace, I guess, you know, so that you can keep these talented, supposedly talented scumbag men in one part of the place and have the women who are also talented and valuable work in a different part? Is that the solution? Or are you going to go ahead and still have an integrated workforce and have very clear guidelines that you actually enforce consistently regardless of whether you think a particular employee at Ford is more talented? I mean, that's the direction I would go. I would say, you know, you would say, for example, I, I don't think it's right to have in the workplace somebody carving graffiti of penises in the table or whatever. So you say, okay, if somebody's caught doing that, they're fired. But you have to have very objective criteria. You know, so certainly masturbating in front of your fellow employee, I think that would be a clear line that you could draw and you could say, no, this is wrong and out there. Simulating sex acts, yeah, okay, if you're caught doing this, you're gone. But have a list of very clear guidelines, all having to do with, you know, delineable, clearly delineated physical actions. You know, if you do this thing, you're gone or, you know, first time you're uh, suspended or probation or, you know, however you're going to do it, you're going to get this warning and a probation. And then if you do it again, boom, you're gone. What it would be have to be really fast. Either you're gone the first time or maybe you get like one warning and you're just gone. Uh, anybody, of course, I would say the masturbating in front of people, you're gone. Uh, I heard a horror story about a law professor who exposed himself in front of students. And then he ended up retiring or leaving from that school, but the school didn't say anything. And so then he's probably like hired someplace else and probably doing the same thing again. It is ridiculous that this sort of stuff, you know, where they really cross those clear lines is not exposed. But I think part of the problem is sexual harassment law where this, you know, the sexual harassment law itself is worded rather vaguely. It's not delineated in terms, really clear terms where you can say, okay, that is the action that we don't want that is going to get you fired. So I would say, first of all, you have to eliminate harassment law. Harassment law is incapable of being objective in any way. 
and you know what you want is you want laws against assault which we've already got on you know the books any sort of you know sexual assault or rape any assault or rape prosecute that but sexual assault excuse me sexual harassment law should go away and then if you are drawing you know guidelines if you're a company and you say okay we don't want our male employees to be able to treat our female employees like garbage because we want to have a workplace that is productive, that's conducive to these women feeling good about themselves and being productive as well. So draw really clear guidelines as clear as you possibly can. It's not necessarily just going to say the only things that men can't do are unwelcome touching or, or rape or, you know, masturbating in front of other you know, employees or whatever it is, uh, expose yourself, whatever it is, it's not necessarily going to be just that. It might be, you know, don't carve penises into tables, right? You, You could see that it would go beyond initiation of force. It could go into some sort of content about what can you actually send to your fellow employee. So you cannot send to a fellow employee or you cannot display in your office or you cannot carve into a table anything that has nude genitalia or whatever, right? But be very clear about what it is and then enforce it because it sounds like they had vague guidelines and that they didn't enforce them strictly, that they traded off in a very pragmatist way, um, you know, talent, so-called talent for a moral workplace. And this is just not acceptable. Um, on the program notes, because I actually, I'm, I'm doing a shorter show today, so I don't have that much time left. I'm going to have to zoom through some of this. I just have a reminder, the Bernard Law, who was the cardinal who covered up a lot of the pedophilia within the Catholic Church, He happened to die. This is a good year for somebody like that to die. It just kind of reminds you that it's this issue has been within the church and proper conduct in the church as well. I put in the program notes this other story about the dogs mauling their owner to death. And and when I heard about this story and then I went and read about it, I didn't want to share it at all, but I just have a couple things to say. Carrying mace spray to defend yourself against a dog that a roaming dog that happens to be aggressive is not a bad idea. So I just thought of it in connection with that. Uh, The other thing is, I just wanted to say the way that the story is written, this Washington post story, it makes it seem like, Oh, your dog, especially if you have a pit bull at any time just might turn on you and you never know when it's going to happen. And they don't talk about what I think is the most logical theory to explain it, which is that, these two dogs probably got in a fight with each other. I heard that they had, you know, been recently changed into a kennel arrangement where they were out in kennels. And I heard that they were in two separate kennels. And I kind of wonder if they were in kennels side by side and sort of doing what is known in the dog world as fence fighting and building up a lot of aggression as between each other. I heard that they were two male, so same sex, litter mates or the same age, at least, uh, puppies that were raised together, which is just also a recipe for disaster in terms of interpersonal dogs. So you've got pit bulls, a breed that's aggressive, potentially litter mates of the same sex being raised together. If it's women, I mean, women or girl, you know, female dogs, it's even worse because 
the females can really go at each other. I my theory is the two dogs got in a fight with each other. The poor woman who is outweighed the the two dogs together weighed more than she did. She, a little tiny thing. She tried to get in between, and it went bad from there. Is what I'm guessing. So. I don't think it's just like, oh, even a pit bull at any time is going to turn against its owner. Uh, Different things have to happen before that. And I think that we need to know more of the story. But in particular, don't ever try to break up a dog fight. If you are by yourself and there's two dogs fighting, I'm sorry, you just got to give up unless you want to get bit. Uh, I one time tried to break up a dog fight and had to learn this the hard way. I got bit. It was accidental um, and nothing you know, very bad came of it. Uh, it didn't feel so hot, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't even need a stitch. It was, it was not that bad. But um, what I learned is you don't try to break it up yourself. If there are two people and two dogs fighting, the two people can go to the hind legs of the dogs. Okay. Don't try to get in the middle, but lift up the hind legs of the dogs and that'll make them feel off balance. And hopefully they'll let go of each other and stop fighting long enough for you to get the two dogs separated. That's how you try to separate dogs don't get in the middle i fear that that's what this woman did uh there's a video that i linked to it's on facebook so i guess you have to either be on facebook or be able to view it you know through facebook to see it but it was a video of what israeli soldiers have to actually go through and um what you've got is you've got palestinian women i'm going to have to go ahead and actually turn this off because it's got sound in my ear, but these Palestinian women are slapping and yelling and everything at these Israeli sh- soldiers. And because of the you know rules of engagement and because of altruism and everybody tries to make Israel look bad in the eyes of the world, they sit there stoically not reacting to these women, just hitting them and yelling at them and everything else because the goal is from the Palestinians, so-called Palestinians, to make the Israelis look bad on camera. If they did react, then the world would never let them forget it. So, yeah, I feel like they need mace spray as well. Give them a little mace spray. Um, Now, this book, the Mark Manson, I'll talk more about Mark Manson's book next week because I'm only three chapters into it. I started listening to The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, only because it had been recommended by a couple other people and I was trying to get a book on Amazon that hadn't been released yet. You know, this, um, this book from Jordan Peterson is coming out. And when I was looking at that and other books, the, this book was suggested because I had browsed it before. Why? Cause a couple of friends of mine had recommended it. So I went ahead and I downloaded it on audible. I've got a bunch of credits, started listening to it. And there's a really interesting chapter in chapter three about the entitlement mentality that people have in our culture. And, you know, to sort of integrate it, and I'm I'm sighing because it's like, is this part of what was going on? That, you know, did Kaczynski get to this stage where it's like he's so talented, he felt like he could just behave that way in the workplace, like he was entitled to subject everybody whoever wanted or wasn't offended by it or was to his sense of humor and, and some of the inappropriate comments and all the other stuff. I, you know, I don't know, but it's worth listening to uh, Manson. I'm going to finish it and then I'll talk to you more about the book next week, but 
if you're offended by profanity, don't go anywhere near it because there's all sorts of profanity and there's a ton of profanity in the first chapter. I was laughing, but other people, maybe you wouldn't be laughing. So take the recommendation with a grain of salt, but it, it, the book was highly recommended to me so far. I'm enjoying it, enjoying it a lot. And like I said, that third chapter, it really gets you thinking about, you know, in your own life too. It's like, have I been behaving in a way that's entitled in certain ways and how can I improve on this dimension? And what is it about, for instance, social media that is stoking this mentality uh, that's the reason it's that listening to that entitlement mentality chapter that I ended up including Digital Witness, St. Vincent's Digital Witness in the program notes, just because he talks about the role of social media in making people feel more that way. Uh, and then, of course, I did put in, in the program notes as well, May Spray, the official video, Jezebel's. I, I wish the Jezebel's the best. I really hope that there's not a serious health issue going on there that's preventing them from scheduling any dates. I want, I want to go back and look in and get some more research on that. Um, finally, last thing I've got in the notes for you guys, it's just an FYI, because I was looking around New York Times. Uh, there was a workout that they had recommended, and I was reading that workout, taking a look at it. It's one of these workouts that you strengthen all your muscles in nine exercises kind of thing, and some of these are, are quite good but they had a link that was related to it. It's an older story. It was a write-up of a study having to do with lifting lighter weights, doing more reps with lighter weights can be just as effective in terms of increasing strength as heavy ones. This article spurred a lot of debate on my Facebook page, even amongst people who agree with the high-intensity training mentality. You know, I've been doing this high-intensity training one of the trainers thinks that, yeah, if you do it properly, can increase strength, even though you're not lifting heavier weights. It's just about the muscle contractions in certain ways and stuff like that. And then the other one was saying, no, no, it's got to be more poundage. And here, look at my big muscles about it and stuff. That's not a real argument, of course. But um, anyway, there's, there's a debate here. And, and so depending on what your particular goals are for strength training, I mean, the one thing that's true is you need to do some strength training in order to achieve some of the benefits that they talk about in there, you know, increased flow of testosterone and HGH and all those other good things. Does it have to be lighter weights? Is that just as effective as heavy ones, particularly for a woman like me? I'm thinking about it. You guys might want to think about it too. So I just stuck it in there for an FYI. Uh, everybody, I have to go now. I'm preparing for having people over for Christmas at my house. I wish all of you a Merry Christmas. I will talk to you next week. I'll probably just do an hour show again next week from 12 to 1 Pacific time. That's 3 to 4 Eastern time next Wednesday. That's my plan. Of course, if something goes south with my dog, I'll have to let you know about that, but I think it's going to be okay. So thanks, everyone, those of you who tuned in here live in the chat room. I'll plan on talking to you next week. Merry, Merry Christmas.